This is Demetrius Hunter, and you're listening to I Am Justice, where we discuss Christianity and our God-given mandate to do justice. Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And Lord, I will be with you, even unto the end of the world. But I heard the voice of Jesus, and I'm still to fight on. to government uh, to legislate morality is uh, like running to them for gun control when they're the biggest gun salesman in the world. Josh, we talked to a, an attorney and they said, well, all law is based on morality, so we have to legislate morality. Don't believe that BS. It's not the truth. You cannot legislate morality. Forcing the law as it now stands without adding any more laws uh, uh, help tremendously, but uh, uh, you, you can't. Uh, you can't legislate morality, is what it boils down to. Indeed, indeed, indeed. If you have ever been an advocate for racial justice and fighting against discrimination in America, you have been greeted, or chances are you've been greeted, with the statement that we just listened to in those clips. And oftentimes, when you hear it, it's slammed on the table like a big joker in the spades game. And if you don't know, in the game of spades, the big joker is the most powerful card in the deck. Nothing can trump the big joker. Now, I haven't played the game of spades in several years, but there was a joy that you experienced when you got dealt the big joker. You knew that no matter how sorry your hand was, that you at least had one book. Now, if you had the big joker, the little joker, and the deuce of spades combined with a few other spades, that was almost like you had the infinity gauntlet. And when you use that, you didn't you didn't pull that out until the grand finale when you and your partner was about to run the table collecting all the books. And that was a it was quite a, a, a thrilling experience when you could completely dominate the opponent. Now, some people, they would keep the knowledge of, of the of the trump card a secret while other people would broadcast it and let you know that they had it. They, they would do stuff like put the big joke on their forehead. They would turn it uh, on the other side so you could see it in their hand. They would do all kind of crazy stuff, but it was all about showmanship. I say all that to say that the statement, you can't legislate morality, is kind of like that big joker. The moment that you mention changing laws concerning race or ethnicity to make them more just and affirmative, and not just neutral, you get hit with brother, 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 brother. You know you can't legislate morality. Now, <laughs> it's funny, but it's true. And, and Now, what I want to offer you all today is an argument that nearly all of our laws in some shape, form or fashion legislate what we view as morally right and wrong as a society. And, and many people before me have also made this argument. So it's not a new one. And it's in a spiritual sense. This is true, though. We know that that laws do not change the heart. Martin Luther King said this because he also encountered the same thing in his speech. The other America, he said this. It may be true that morality cannot be legislated, but behavior can be regulated. Even though the law can't change the heart, it can restrain the heartless. A law might not make a man love me, 
but it can restrain him from lynching me. And I think that is important also. While the law may not change the hearts of men, it can change the habits of men. Now, consequently, we see that legislation seeks to regulate behavior, behavior that we believe to be moral or behavior that we believe to be immoral. And we've seen this attempt to restrain the human heart since the early stages of human history. Now, going back to Genesis, when Cain killed Abel, this was the first premeditated murder. The Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? To which Cain said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, now the Lord didn't have a nonchalant response to that, which out the gate, y'all know, Cain was off the hook. This brother actually had the audacity to get smart with the Lord. (laughs) He respected his elders. But Cain was confronted and God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. As a result, Cain was punished for this murder and exiled from the land. Now, it wasn't right for Cain to murder his brother, and it's still not right for someone to conspire or intend to murder another person to this day. Our laws stipulate that we should not kill or murder one another because we believe it is morally wrong to take the life of another human being. For the Christian, especially, this also extends uh, to human beings in the womb. Now, in a governmental sense, just as you have laws that uphold behaviors that we Christians consider morally right, there are also laws that allow behaviors that the Christians should believe are morally wrong. Now, not all believe the same thing. But for instance, our society believes at, at large that abortion, gay marriage and pornography should be allowed in order for people to be able to benefit from the inalienable rights of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And the way that our government is designed, people have a right to contend for these things because they oftentimes fall into a gray area of doing no harm to anyone else. That is, unless you're a fetus or a clump of cells, as described by abortion advocates, but uh, nevertheless, moving right along To, to make this plain, though, at one time. Slavery, extermination of native peoples, segregation, separating uh, children from families. This happened with enslaved people and Native Americans. Now we see it happening with immigrants at the border. These things were and are legal because this is what society or at the very minimum, those in power deemed as morally right and acceptable. I ain't trying to lump everybody in with that. But in these instances, just from these instances alone, y'all, you can see the folly. And I like that word. I think folly is a good word. But you can see the folly in believing that America is a Christian nation. This this going to make some of y'all mad. But America is not a Christian nation. This nation was not designed for Christians to legislate biblical principles. And some would disagree with that. And, and I'm fine with that. But this nation was the not was not designed to be a theocracy. It was designed for citizens to have an ability to govern themselves as opposed to a monarchy or a dictatorship. Uh, to get specific, it was designed as a, a representative government or a republic. And in governing, what happens is laws are established that society deems moral or immoral. Now, morality, when we talk about that, y'all, morality is no more than a distinction between what's right and wrong or good and bad behavior. Now, in a fight for justice, from a Christian perspective, 
We should seek for our government to enact laws and policies that we believe are morally right. There is nothing wrong with that. Now, in matters of race, we, we seek these same thing. We want the government to enact laws that are morally right. And just to juxtapose this when I'm when I'm talking about some of these differences, because like like, for instance, in matters of religion, we often we seek to uphold laws that allow us the free expression and exercise of our faith. Now, I, I can advocate for religious freedom till I'm blue in the face and I'm cool with that. But I, I never get any opposition from my Christian brothers and sisters. But when I advocate for justice concerning race. That's when the seeming trump card is thrown out there. Here we go again. Brother, brother, brother. You know you can't legislate morality or laws don't change the heart. They tell me this like we don't know that. Look, I ain't asking legislators to preach the gospel. I know that that's my job. But as a citizen, I will push legislators to make and enact laws that are just. The reality is that many of this nation's citizens are only seeking to be treated fairly and, and have access to the same opportunities that are inalienable rights guaranteed. So now, you know, I, I've been doing this for a while um, and, and I, I actually come to believe that when that phrase is used in, in the course of advocating for racial or ethnic justice, whatever you want to call it, what people really mean or, or, or maybe what people really mean is that I don't believe in the laws and policies that you're advocating for or I don't agree with those laws and policies that you advocating for. Because and I say that because in, in Christianity, I've never heard anyone say you can't legislate morality when it comes to abortion. Have any of y'all ever heard that? And let me make this clear. I'm not saying that Christians should not have a biblical response to abortion. Abortion is against our view on morals because, number one, it takes human life, which begins at conception. And number two, abortion is not the only solution. But it's, it's, it's not enough to be simply against abortion. Holistic solutions to this problem need to be applied. And if you want to hear more about that. Look up organizations like the Ann campaign or pro black pro life and you will see uh, some holistic responses to this issue. But when I bring that up, what I, what I am doing is I'm trying to point out the difference when one type of moral issue is advocated for versus another. If you believe that abortion is murder, which is a moral issue, you're trying to legislate your morality concerning that issue on everyone else. You're trying to restrain the behavior that would lead to the loss of human life in the womb. Now, I don't believe these issues are mutually exclusive because we can advocate to end abortion and we can advocate to have laws concerning equity and racial or ethnic justice. In this form of government, whether we agree we should have to or not, that's a different subject. But these issues and ideals oftentimes have to be debated amongst those who have competing interests. This is the nature of politics. We all had to come to the table and strike agreements about how we want to be governed as a people. That's how our society should work. And it's not working right now. But, you know, in Christianity, we can seek to legislate our view of morality and all kind of social issues, but not issues of race. And in the immortal words of KRS-One, you have to ask, why is that? 
Because, you know, from a purely Christian perspective, y'all, I don't expect legislation to change anyone's heart. But I'm not going to sit up here and, and, and lie and just like Martin Luther King said, act like legislation is not helpful. And let me be clear, all these human mechanisms, just for y'all purists out there, all these human mechanisms pale in comparison to preaching the gospel. It's the gospel that changes the heart and instills the ability to learn morality according to scripture. But Proverbs 1, 1 through 4 says this. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to learn wisdom and moral instruction, to discern wise counsel, to receive moral instruction and skillful living with righteousness, justice and equity, to impart shrewdness to the morally naive, a discerning plan to the young person. What the, what the teachings of scripture does is, is it, it governs what the believer deems to be morally righteous. Now, all things being equal, and I know this is a stretch. It shouldn't be, but it's a stretch. But th- there should not be that much of a leap between what believers actually think is right or wrong. It shouldn't be that much of a leap between uh, uh, Christians of any race or ethnicity, it shouldn't be that much of a leap between what we all believe is morally right or wrong. And, and where that leap is too far, I, I have to say that we are all influenced more by culture than we are by scripture. Now, I'm making this simple. I know that there are more nuanced ways to discuss this, but I, I know I only got y'all <laughs> I only got y'all attention for a limited amount of time. But honestly, and oftentimes we are more influenced by the winds of culture, the winds of politics and the winds of our own willful ignorance. Because legislation is moral in nature. Now, when I talk about laws and and when I'm talking about treating people right, that's a moral determination. And when we look at American history. America had immoral laws on the book concerning uh, race and segregation. These laws were immoral because they targeted a specific group to be treated less than other folk. Now, some of you may say right now, you know, brother, and they, they always want to throw that brother out there. You know, brother, there are no laws that are morally wrong concerning issues of race. None of our laws right now target people because of their race. Don't you know that was dealt with uh, with the civil rights movement in the 60s? All that stuff was taken care of. Like if you don't look at history, Martin Luther King was assassinated. He was still fighting for our rights. The, The fight for equal treatment in America has not stopped since those laws were passed. Even even the leaders back then criticized the legislation that was passed because they felt like it didn't have as much teeth as it needed to be enforced. (laughs) If you believe that all this stuff was taken care of with the civil rights movement of the 1960s, I have a bridge that I can sell you. The jure or the segre- or or discrimination by law may be over, but we still have uh, what we call de facto discrimination or discrimination as a matter of fact, because discrimination in this country is just a part of what we are as America. <laughs> it's as American as apple pie. And that's going to make some folk mad. You can't discriminate on people. You can't discriminate against people. 
uh, uh, according to, let's just take the Fair Housing Act, for instance. It's illegal for you to say that because of someone's race that they can't live or you won't sell them a house in a certain area. But does that still happen? Yes, it does. People are still denied the ability to uh, own and purchase and buy. Um, they denied the ability to get loans and all these types of things. While it may not be on its face racially motivated. When you peel back the layers, you can see that accepting the person's race. They probably would have gotten that opportunity they were looking for. And this is how it's working. Because while the laws on their face right now, they, they aren't racial or immoral. What we see now is an application and enforcement of laws. This is where we see a lot of the immorality. For instance, the state of Michigan has an emergency manager law. Public Act 436. PA 436 was enacted after the citizens of the state of Michigan by ballot vote voted to strike down PA4, which was the original Emergency Manager Act. Now, remember, y'all, our government was designed for us to govern ourselves. What, what this Emergency Manager Act does is for any city or governing entity, it removes the citizens of that locality the ability to govern themselves. Now, just trying to give you the other side, that there are a number of reasons why state governments believe laws like this are useful. Specifically, uh, they, they want to use these laws when a municipality or a school district is in financial distress and can't meet their budget. Some some has to be done. So on its face, the law isn't written to be applied in a discriminatory manner, meaning y'all, they, they'll say it's not discriminatory because the in, in the back room when when they were cooking up this legislation. They didn't explicitly put it in the law to say, well, we're going to use this law to, de to deny the colored folk in Michigan the ability to control their cities. And we're going to write that in the law. On its face, it don't say that. So you can you can easily make the, 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 the argument and say, well, this law is all about financial distress. It ain't done. Ain't got nothing to do with race, which that's what that's pretty much what's the state arguments with this. This, this quote, I got a quote. This quote I'm about to read is from the NYU uh, Review of Law and Social Change. And the article is titled, Do Desperate Times Calls for Desperate Measures in the Context of Democracy, Michigan's Emergency Manager Law and the Voting Rights Act? Now, this says, although the state argues that PA 436 is not a race issue, statistics show that PA 436 had the result of denying up to 52%. 52% of Michigan's African-Americans, their electoral voice post-emergency manager takeover. Moreover, data suggests that the state of Michigan has a higher likelihood of designating emergency managers to cities with a majority population of racial and ethnic minorities than similarly situated or even worse off cities with majority white population. The Michigan Department of Treasury uses a scoring system to determine the financial health of the state's municipalities. Cities with fiscal scores between 5 and 7 are placed on a watch list. Scores between 8 and 10 result in the community receiving consideration for review. Based on the most recent 2009 data, 6 out of 7 communities, 85%, 
Will the majority population of racial and ethnic minorities receive emergency managers when they have scores of seven? At the same time, y'all, at the same time, none of the 12 communities with a majority white population received an emergency manager despite having scores of seven or higher. Now, there, there were several arguments made in this journal why the law was discriminatory and they offered legal remedies to fix it as well. But because nuances in interpretation, while discriminatory impact could be shown, meaning that it, it could be shown that black people were more likely to be impacted by this law, discriminatory intent wasn't proven. Because now what you have to do is you have to raise the bar. And, and this is what you hear in a lot of uh, uh, our conversation nowadays when it comes to issues of race and racism. Well, how can you call them a racist? You don't know what's in their heart. And the, the way that our laws are written, you have to kind of prove that they intentionally discriminated against you. You had to be able to prove that in their heart or what their intent was, uh, was to treat you differently because of your race. And that is a high bar. And you can see the way that this high bar was actually applied uh, in the U S district Eastern, uh, in the U S Eastern uh, district court. Uh, this is the opinion from uh, judge George Cam Steve. He, he, he uh, gave this opinion and, and listen to what he say, because P.A. 436 impacts financially troubled communities. All citizens residing in those Michigan communities are impacted by the fiscal emergency, while an overwhelming number of Michigan's black citizens who were affected by the act reside in just two of Michigan cities, Flint and Detroit. Both Detroit and Flint had objective financial difficulties. This is they, they pretty much what we call this is a non-discriminatory reason. And they saying that this law was applied because of financial difficulties didn't have nothing to do with race. He goes on to say predominantly white communities have also been subject to the act, just as have predominantly black communities. In fact, four of the 14 jurisdictions under emergency management when this lawsuit was initially filed in 2013 were made up of more than 50 percent white citizens with two overwhelmingly so. Allen Park, 92.9% white and 2.1% black. Lincoln Park, 84.2% white and 5.9% black. Hamtramck, 53.6% white. And Wayne County, 52.3% white. Now, essentially what he's saying, and he's pointing out that the majority of African Americans in the state of Michigan reside in two cities. But four of those cities of the 14 jurisdictions under emergency managers, they were majority white. So he like, look, y'all, this is my this is my trend. This is the Demetrius translation. Look, y'all, you know what? It, it, it really ain't our fault that the majority of black people in the state of Michigan live in two cities. Now, we ain't going to even take into account that the majority of black people probably live in two cities because of systemic racism and housing. Which is which is a proof which is a proven fact, but it's like man, you know what? I you know we we can't help it that you know almost all the black people in the state of Michigan live in two cities now. You know what I'm saying? That that's that's a bunch that live in two cities, but we got these other cities, and 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 these other cities, four of them, you know, they had a pretty nice size uh, population of, of white people that live there, and they were subject to the law as well. And the trick to it is that in those four cities, those four cities don't make up the majority of the white population of the state of Michigan. It just don't fit. Now, to avoid 
you know, getting into all the legal wrangling, several appeals were made on this case, even to the Supreme Court, which the Supreme Court declined to hear it. And as a result, the emergency manager law still stands today. Y'all know, despite what the courts say, because if you're a student of American history, you know, the courts don't always get it right. The immoral application of this law led to the poisoning of my hometown and the government did not respond to our pleas and cries to change our water source back. They were more concerned about the financial impact and other nefarious deals. I should put that first. They were more concerned about these other nefarious deals, less so about the financial impact than they were concerned about the lives of people. Matter of fact, we'll mark that nefarious. That's another word that I like. (laughs) Nefarious. It goes well with politics. But this right here is a prime example of why you ain't got to tell me that you racist, but how you treat me says it all. Because for all it's worth, even the Michigan Department of Civil Rights declared that the water crisis occurred because of systemic racism. You could go on uh, Michigan Department of Civil Rights website. You could find a report that they did. The typical American. And, and I'm making a connection, but the typical American believes that in our system, it is morally right to allow citizens to govern themselves and laws that deny that ability should not be enacted. Y'all look at the all, all the protests and lawsuits occurring right now regarding how governors are dealing with the pandemic. What are what are what are the right wing folks protesting? They are protesting that the governors shouldn't have the ability to tell us what to do in our own localities because we know we can make the determination about what's best for us. We don't need government to tell us what to do to handle the pandemic. Now, the problem with the struggle of what's moral or not is that in this nation, it's oftentimes the most powerful that get to make that determination. Now, I submit to you all that Christians should be able to tell the difference between a just law and a law that causes harm to other people. But unfortunately, it seems that we can't. And I say that because while Christians were debating if the condition of Flint was caused by being run by Democrats, There were people of all colors in the city of Flint drinking, cooking and bathing in water that was harming our health. And it wasn't just lead that was the problem. It was also cancer causing agents and all other kind of weird stuff going on. But people were dying, having miscarriages for my pro-life folk, children being brain damaged. But many Christians could not see past the political ideologies that determine how they respond. And for that, I have to say, Lord, have mercy on your church. For many Christians, it was their political allegiances that determined the morality of the situation. I mean, again. If, if, if a Democrat city can't control their finances, you can't blame the Snyder administration. And there are many reasons. In fact, there's too many to get in, in, into why Flint was in the place that it was in the first place. Now, I, I do commend the support because we got support uh, from across all spectrums 
in regards to uh, care, concern, supplies, water, and all that kind of stuff from the Democrat to the Republican to the politically non-affiliated to to everybody, all religions, uh, the support span, uh, the whole of humanity nearly. And that help was very much appreciated. But also what we need to keep in our focus and keep in our sights is that the help is definitely needed. But we have to attack the law that got us there in the first place. We need Christian support from all spectrums to deal with unjust laws and seemingly neutral laws when they're when they are applied unjustly. Y'all, we have to address those in power that use this law in an immoral fashion and cause harm to thousands of people. You talk about morality. I think that it is imperative that as Christians, we advocate for laws that reflect moral righteousness. We need to advocate for the laws that reflect this moral righteousness that we see that is exhibited in Scripture. Now, does that mean that we set up a theocracy? No, that ain't what I'm saying. People always get the game twisted. That's not what I'm saying. You you can't establish, y'all. We can't establish the kingdom of God with a secular government. It's not going to happen. The American government is not a substitute for Israel. The American government is not a, a God's light on the hill. That's not it. It's a secular government. But in a republic, we can advocate for laws that reflect the biblical ethic. And that's what we charge to do. That's what you see people doing. Now, honestly, when you look at our system in the way that it's designed, I don't know, you know, if, if advocating for these type of laws can be achieved by Christians working in this uh, primarily two party system. Because they haven't worked thus far. I mean, we've seen some advances. Yes, we have seen advances. But oftentimes what we see is that when when Christians lock arms with either of the major parties, it leads to a crisis of integrity. Because, for instance, we have Christians on the left, like Pastor Raphael Warnock. Pastor of Ebenezer Church in Atlanta, Georgia, essentially saying that abortion or in his words, a woman's right to choose, which on a Democratic platform leads to abortion, is compatible with Christianity. And we got Christians on the right, like Vice President Mike Pence, serving up Christian nationalism and essentially worshiping the state as Lord. And when you look at examples like this, y'all, I, I can tell y'all unequivocally. One thing I know for sure is that you can't get morality out of idolatry. And this is what we see. Christians, we can't be duped into thinking that doing the unchallenged bidding of either of these parties is going to get us to the type of morality that we're looking for because it's not. Now, it's according to our guiding principles that we legislate and advocate for what we believe to be morally right or wrong. And it's time to throw out that trump card and pick up our Bibles. Christians, let's carefully examine how we're reaching our conclusions. The gospel is challenging us to look at this from a different lens. If we serve the Lord Jesus Christ, if we 
uh, say and, and we acknowledge that he is our Lord and Savior. The American government isn't our Lord and Savior. Neither political party is our Lord and Savior. So we shouldn't be bowing the knee in subservience to these parties who are not going to help us achieve the kind of morality that's exhibited in Scripture. We can push the government to make laws that are more just. We could push the government to make laws that we believe are morally right. But our salvation is not going to come from the power and decisions that government can make. We have to be a lot smarter. So with that being said, I'm glad that y'all tuning in. Um, I'm going to continue these kind of conversations because we need to talk about justice and what that really means for us as Christians. And again, I'm not making these declarations like I know everything or even like I vetted out all the issues in this short amount of time uh, uh, that this podcast is going on for. Because there are many different conversations I know could be had about several other issues that I brought up. But I'm, I'm using broad examples to try to draw a picture for us as Christians about what it means when we use government to advocate for what we believe is morally right or wrong. Our impetus should be driven by the truth of scripture and not party platform. Our impetus should be driven by our unity in Christ. And not what type of government that we have. So I hope y'all continue checking me out. I'm on uh, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, uh, where you can hear podcasts. You should be able to find uh, you should be able to find uh, I am justice. If you got any questions about anything, please hit me up. Uh, you can email me at I am at gmail.com. I love to chop it up. So thanks for listening. Peace.